from Public Health Institute, welcome to the PHI CDC Global Health Podcast, a new podcast that highlights stories from the PHI CDC Global Health Fellowship Program, a U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention funded program implemented by the Public Health Institute. Our fellows are guided by CDC Global Health experts and work on the front lines of global health, developing the technical and professional skills needed to make meaningful contributions to today's global health challenges. I'm your host, Whitney Hall, the Program's Administration and Communications Specialist. Today, our guest is Natasha Alcaz, who is our Recruitment and Fellowship Support Coordinator. So welcome, Natasha, and thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Uh, Let's start off with talking about what your role consists of for the program. Excellent. Yeah, thank you for having me here. Um, Well, as my title says, I am the Recruitment and Fellowship Support Coordinator, and that covers a wide range. In terms of recruitment, I aid our program's outreach efforts to seek all eligible candidates that may be interested and benefit from our training fellowship. We ensure that they can apply and are reviewed and then accessible to CDC offices seeking new fellows. And then recruitment, you know, naturally transitions into fellowship support, which is the second part of my role, as I work directly with incoming fellows during their summer onboarding to get them ready for the start of the fellowship year and then continue to provide support throughout the year. I can definitely go into a lot more detail, but I'm going to pause here because I think Mm -hmm. I naturally will go into that detail, um, you know, discussing the various aspects of my role in our later on this podcast. Great. Wonderful. Uh, What has been your career path leading up to the program? You know, my career path leading up to this program is primarily in education. While I was completing my master's in microbiology, I discovered my joy of teaching as a teacher's assistant. I then joined Teach for America and taught high school chemistry for a few years, supporting students in various backgrounds with various differing needs, and I loved every second of it, truly. Um, I then wanted to branch into public health. I found this program within the Public Health Institute and have definitely enjoyed being a part of this team, finding ways to support our fellows, and hearing all the amazing work they are accomplishing during their time in the fellowship program. Great. Um, How do you set fellows up for success when they're beginning the program? I love this question. Um, It's hard to answer, so I'm going to split it into two sections. Uh, You know, the two main items for our new incoming fellows would be onboarding and orientation. The program utilizes their onboarding before the start of the fellowship and then their new fellow orientation at the start of the fellowship year to really help all new incoming fellows be set up for success for the remaining and the duration of their fellowship year. Um, So again, it definitely starts during onboarding, which begins from the time the finalist accepts the fellowship offer that they were matched with. Part of my job is to keep incoming fellows on track and make sure that they are not overwhelmed with all the various items that they need to review and complete before the fellowship actually begins. Um, You know, many incoming fellows first thought is, oh, my God, I'm going to be relocating to Tanzania or, you know, another country or even to Atlanta in, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) in just a few months. And they're just like, how do I pack for this? What do I do? And, you know, while, you know, without a doubt, that is 100 percent an important question, you know, it 
It isn't necessarily the top priority in early May when relocating won't be happening until, you know, right before or in or in early September. So, you know, um, I and the program aim to provide a timeline for incoming fellows, letting them know what to prioritize from the time they say yes up through their onboarding, uh, you know, what they are expecting to complete, when, and also to support to expect, you know, what to expect from the program and their offices, um, you know, throughout their onboarding months, which includes resources for the relocation and more. So that's just, you know, that's just onboarding, <laughs> which is a big chunk. So I like to spend time on it. Um, and then the second thing that I had mentioned was orientation. So all new fellows are required to take part in a mandatory orientation that covers, you know, program policies, various helpful training sessions, such as, you know, setting up mentor mentee expectations, being the driver of their own success and, you know, reviewing how to create their goals and objective framework and their individual professional development plan. So this moving on with like all fellows this is not just for new fellows all fellows um, whether you're new or renewing this is a tool the program asks all fellows to partake in to complete at the start of every fellowship year and it allows them to take their fellowship assignment um, and make it more meaningful and measurable objectives at the start of the year to then monitor and report on with their quarterly updates this is also a great opportunity for fellows to then identify if there are particular trainings that they are needing to complete um, to support them in accomplishing those particular goals, right? So this is their, their major goals and objective framework that they set at the beginning of the fellowship year to set them up for success throughout the duration. Nice. Thank you. Yes, that is a lot of details that you're, <laughs> you're managing. <laughs> um, how do you check in on the fellows throughout the year? Great. So um, kind of hinted at this a little bit. So this is we, we do this through primarily through our quarterly check in calls. So at the minimum, the program reaches out to all fellows every quarter to have a one on one check in call with the program and review if the fellow has any needs, you know, asks about like, you know, how's, how's everything going with their team? How's it going with their mentors? Um, generally speaking, how are they? you know, moving forward within their own role and just like their day to day. Uh, we also review their finances within their fellowship placement, you know, specifically training funds, you know, needs for professional development. Um, again, identifying areas for success, um, ways the program can highlight the fellow. But, you know, the program asks the fellows to complete their quarterly goals and objective updates as well. So in addition to these check in calls, they also complete an update on that. You know what I was just talking about, that that those goals and objective framework that they set up for the year. And that allows them to really have a, a meaningful and mindful quarterly check in with their own team, with their mentors to see how they are progressing forward in their own fellowship assignment throughout the year as well. And then they can share those updates with the program, you know, and especially to identify if there's anything they need support with. So, of course, this is all minimum. Um, we encourage the fellows to reach out to the program as often as needed throughout the year. <laughs> uh, but this is at minimum, we do like to check in at least quarterly. I know this question comes up, especially this year with the changes with COVID, um, but how does the program support fellows if security issues arise? 
Great question. Uh, well, on the program side, we review daily security reports um, throughout the year. So uh, we receive this daily and it's re security reports that are happening around the world. And we'll individually reach out to fellows and country offices to identify if there are any issues of concern. Um, fellows are also supported by their mentors, their country offices, embassy teams, and, and more. And of course, um, you know, going back to the quarterly check-ins, the program will also address if there are any security or safety issues that the fellow would like to share um, from their end as well. And, you know, we hope that fellows will also reach out to the program if the program didn't reach out to them, that the fellows will reach out to us if there are any issues that need to be addressed. Um, and then, of course, you know, I think one of the main ones that may be on a lot of people's minds is, you know, without going to a lot of detail, uh, surrounding COVID-19, right? And so that mm -hmm. definitely, you know, was a situation that did require some escalation. And it involved a lot of country office calls to identify if and when fellows should evacuate and return to the states. And also ensuring it's safe for overseas fellows, like overseas-based fellows, to go back to their country placement. So above all else, I think it's important to emphasize that the safety of all our fellows is always a top priority within the program. Yes, definitely. Uh, great. Well, so for people listening who might not be as familiar with the program, there are fellows who stay in their fellowship for up to three years. Um, that that option exists. So how does support look different for first year fellows compared with second or third year fellows? First, I'll share, you know, every fellow may have different needs and support can greatly vary between fellow to fellow. But overall, um, you know, the trends that I've noticed for our first year fellows is everything feels very new and there's definitely a learning curve, not only for your own placement and fellowship assignment, you know, getting along with your new team, but also understanding program policies. So again, a key reason why the program provides a lot of support to incoming fellows throughout their onboarding months and then also require them, you know, because this is just for first year fellows to complete the orientation at the start of the fellowship year. So I think in summary, you know, first year fellow support mostly um, involves a lot of like clarifying and how to best plan for their for their fellowship year. And then second and third year fellows, you know, they've already went through the learning curve. They've overall have a good handle on their fellowship role, have strong relationships with their team and implementing partners and you know, while they may benefit from reminders from the program, you know, policies, um, they overall understand the process fairly well. I tend to notice the type of support offered to second and third year fellows shifts a bit more into career development with next steps and plans after their fellowship is completed. So wanting to type up more of their manuscripts, uh, networking, resume review, and more. So that's kind of like my overall summary, but I will emphasize again, like every fellow may have differing needs and we work with, that's one of the reasons why we have those individual one-on-one -on -one check in calls so we can best plan and support each fellow individually. Wonderful. So moving on now to the other half of your role, which is recruitment, which I know is a lot as well. Um, can you give listeners a general overview of the recruitment timeline? Of course. So, um, I, you know, I will emphasize information can always be found on the application section within the program's website. I'll highlight key points here. So 
Applications open mid-December and are due in January, though the fellowship does not begin until September of that same year. Applications will be due in January 2021, and the next fellowship cycle won't start until September 2021. Uh, it does take quite some time to go through the whole process, <laughs> and so that that is why it, there's a it looks like there's a bit of a gap. Um, all applications are fairly and equitably reviewed by multiple reviewers that are a part of the Global Health Workforce Panel, and they are you know they are members and volunteer within the the consortium universities of global health. So applications that are then advanced will then be viewable by CDC host offices seeking a fellowship placement and, you know, they will begin reaching out to select advanced applicants for interviews. This typically happens in April, but it can be extended depending on the offices and their own timeline. And as you can imagine, sometimes CDC offices you know, are a little bit strained within their own timeline and all the different needs that they have. So this is why sometimes that that window can be expanded and extended a little bit. Um, and then additionally, the program does reach out to candidates who are interviewed by multiple offices and inquire their preferences and use it alongside the final submissions from CDC offices to make fair fellowship matches. From May onwards is when the program, you know, uh, select finalists and present them with their fellowship offers uh, with, you know, from the program and immediately begin their onboarding upon the candidate accepting the fellowship placement. So again, in summary, you know, applications launch in mid-December, um, but like a potential fellowship offer can happen in May and June. And then from there, it's onboarding up until the start of your fellowship year through September. So it's a, it's a really long process, definitely worth it. And, you know, I will say, you know, me and many other fellows will say it's definitely worth it. <laughs> I hope they agree mm -hmm. with me. Um, yeah. But just something to emphasize, because I think, you know, for a lot of candidates, they may not be aware that the process does take quite some time. Right. Yeah, I think that's very helpful to share. Uh, I know we get a lot of questions that come in throughout the year from prospective applicants. What are the most common questions that you get um, from those prospective applicants? Again, on our website, um, there's a frequently asked questions as well. So if a candidate doesn't hear something, you know, with my answer <laughs> to review the frequently asked questions on our website. But I'm going to highlight here, I think there's like three main ones I tend to get a lot asked directly to me via email and in informational sessions. And that's around eligibility, how to make your application more competitive, and then finally, like the status updates and again, general timeline. So first around eligibility, just to confirm, you know, what that is, our eligibility with the program is having an MPH, MSPH, or PhD in public health from a CEPH accredited school or program having that degree earned by the end of June prior to starting the program or within the past five years. Um, as you know, again, this fellowship program is designed for recent graduates, like new and new professionals in the field. So in addition to that, due to CDC clearance requirements for this particular fellowship, eligible candidates must also be either a U.S. citizen or U.S. permanent resident. You know, and around eligibility, because I know like some candidates hear that and they're like, oh, I'm not eligible. And they just 
you know, move on, right? Um, right. I will I will strongly <laughs> suggest, while I understand the frustrating of not being eligible for, for a program, I do strongly suggest staying connected to the program with our mailing list and receive updates. Um, so not only do we, you know, the program shares other resources of other beneficial, you know, programs that candidates may be interested in, but they also share when there's any updates to our eligibility. So just this past year, we've now expanded to include MSPH degrees as well. So just something to kind of highlight within that. Um, so the second question I tend to get asked a lot is, you know, make, how do I make an application stronger? <laughs> I really want to make my application the strongest out of all. And so <laughs> while, you know, I'll review additional tips shortly, um, I'll answer this question by saying, you know, just make sure that you highlight your own top skills and experience within the fields and tracks that you are interested in. Um, you know, really showcasing what your skills are, your experience. Like this is a training fellowship. By no means are we saying like you need to be an, you need to already be a professional and an expert because that would, you know, defeat the purpose. And we may look at it and be like, what are you going to benefit from this training, you know, fellowship? Like, how are you going to benefit from it? But again, you know, you definitely do want to highlight if you are saying you're interested in surveillance, you know, why? What have you been doing so far that shows that you're interested in it? What do you feel like you will be bringing to the program? And what do you feel like you would be gaining from it? Right. And so I started going to tips already, but <laughs> that no, tends that's to be, fine. That's really helpful. Yeah. yeah. So that tends to be one of the major one of the main questions. And then finally, the, the most frequent question I get, I think, above all of them, um, is around, you know, individual status updates. Like, can you tell me a status update? Can you tell me a status update? And truthfully, as painfully as it is for me to say this, but it is the truth, there's not much I can add on here from what I stated previously. It's a long process, right? Like applications launch mid-December, they're due in January, and it's just, it takes time and it takes patience. Like trust that the program provides updates to all candidates throughout the process. So it's just important to try and be patient. What tips do you have for applicants? I know you kind of, you started to talk about that, but um, yeah, are there other tips that you'd like to mention? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I did, you know, adding on to what I was saying before, uh, yeah, I would definitely say take your time to thoroughly apply. Don't rush through it. Um, you know, I know we know you're also like working and, you know, some of you may still also be completing your graduate program, you know, please be sure to do two things. Like the first is read the instructions. <laughs> um, if there's an application guide provided, utilize that to ensure you're including the information sought and uploading it the correct way. And then, you know, the second thing is proofread your information. There's nothing worse than spending all that time on your application and realizing you uploaded your resume where the written response was supposed to be, you know, make sure that you mm. review your, yeah, like make sure you review, which just happened, yeah. <laughs> your full application, um, the instructions and your submissions before you click that final button. We definitely on the program will try to support, you know, as much as possible and use, you know, answering these questions and everything beforehand. But once you submit, you know, you submit. So you want to make sure that you give yourself ample time to review everything and again, read the instructions. <laughs> um, another another tip is to research your tracks of interest. So you can apply to up to three different technical tracks out of the six available. You do not need to apply to all three 
If you have experience and a strong preference for two of the six technical tracks, then spend your time and energy on your top two choices. You know, you can read sample fellowship assignment descriptions on our website, um, explore the news and blogs and podcasts from our other fellows to better familiarize yourself with a variety of work, you know, fellows partake in. Take your time with it, do your research of your interests, and those are my top two tips for applicants. Great. Yeah. And those tips, I think, are just great in general for applying to jobs like researching and reading everything thoroughly. And Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, you know, um, I will say real quick, it's, it's also important to recognize that this is a competitive fellowship. You know, for our 2020-2021 cycle, we had over 500 applications for about like 30 fellowship placements. So, you know, stay confident and persistent <laughs> like but know that it is it is a competitive fellowship yes definitely um what recommendations would you make kind of going off of that to applicants who apply but don't receive a fellowship perfect yeah again you know stay confident and persistent i'm gonna go along with that lines again uh you can apply for up to five years of graduating so so long as you're still eligible to apply again Submit another application, you know, continue to build on and show the additional experiences and skills that you have gained, you know, and how you know that you would benefit from this program. Um, If your application isn't advanced or you weren't provided an interview or matched with a fellowship placement, please know it does not automatically signify that, you know, you are not a strong applicant. Again, it's a very competitive fellowship. Like I'm a... I'm a big, you know, advocate for that saying, like, things happen when they're supposed to happen. Um, and I like sharing, like, a couple, you know, a couple different stories that I, you know, I, I share with also candidates who are interested during informational sessions as well. You know, like, we we had a fellow who, you know, applied a couple of times and was actually provided a fellowship offer in a previous year. Um, this is, you know, this was like a few years ago. So they were, they were provided a fellowship offer and they weren't sure about the placement and whether or not it would work, you know, like, you know, whether or not it was aligned with their own career paths and goals. And they actually turned down the offer. They then applied again the following year and was matched with a different fellowship placement. And that time, you know, they were like, I feel like this is more aligned. They accepted it and they have been loving it ever since. So I shared this story because, you know, you as a candidate want to make sure that the placement you are accepting is one that is aligned with your goals, right? Be confident in what you are seeking, even if it means it may not be with this program. Um, as much as I, I love this program and I advocate for it, you you are the driver of your own success and you know what you are looking for within your career path, right? Um, and then the second story I like sharing is, you know, yes, though the program strives to follow, you know, the recruitment timeline that I, you know, shared previously, there are sometimes opportunities for candidates to be offered a fellowship placement later in the recruitment cycle. Um, Though this is rare, right, that's rare. And sometimes a mid-year placement is very rare. Staying open, flexible, and again, that word persistent definitely becomes helpful here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've had a few fellows and I know like Whitney, you can add on to that. You're like, yes, I've seen that happen where, right. um, <laughs> where, you know, they join later than the, than the main, our main group or main cohort to have joined that year. And they also like thoroughly enjoy their, their fellowship experience. So 
again, things happen when they're supposed to happen. That's the best I can, you know, types of recommendations I can give. <laughs> Just have patience and understanding, persistence, confidence, all that stuff together. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much, Natasha. I, I think this is really helpful for prospective applicants. And also, uh, I think it's just always interesting to hear about how you support fellows, because I know that you do so much. So yeah, I really appreciate having you. Um, and if people are interested, if there are prospective applicants listening, we also have the Fellowship Experience webinar coming up. It's on December 11th, which is a Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific time. And there you'll hear directly from one of our current fellows and an alumna who is a current epidemiologist working as a contractor at CDC. If you're listening to this after that date has passed, you'll be able to find the recording on our website. Uh, but again, thanks, Natasha. I really appreciated having you. And I, I miss sitting in the same <laughs> office as you pre-COVID times. So. Yeah, yeah, I same definitely miss that. I can feel your energy. <laughs> it's like we're in the same office yet again. But yeah, thank you. Thank you to our guest, Natasha Alcaz, and all of you for tuning in to the PHICC Global Health Podcast. This podcast is a project of the PHICC Global Health Fellowship Program, which is implemented by the Public Health Institute and its partner consortium of universities for global health for the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Please join us next time as we share more fellowship stories. To learn more about our program and see how we are making meaningful contributions to today's global challenges, visit our website at phi-cdcfellows.org. If you enjoy the podcast, you can always rate us and leave a review. We'd love to see those as well. For questions, please email us at info at phi-cdcfellows.org. This podcast is produced by Whitney Hall. Thank you to Mike Sage, Christine Caraballo, Jasdeep Dulay, Natasha Alcas, Rora Michael, Christine Jolly, CDC Center for Global Health, PHI, and CUGH.